All right, we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this recording, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 43. It's a short little section, and yet it really makes a profound point as we we look at these two snapshots as Jesus is really culminating his trip to Jerusalem. From 951 and on, Luke has organized his gospel around Jesus' goal of getting to Jerusalem, and he's pointed out several times that Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets there. Well, that long travel sequence will culminate in Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem in the very next chapter, Luke 19. So one last time, here in this section, we are reminded that Jesus is intentionally headed there, and he knows what lies ahead for him once he arrives. So Luke 18, verse 31, it says this, Now, he took the twelve aside and said to them, And so in the preceding context, Jesus has blessed the babies, he has engaged with a rich young ruler, and then out of that conversation, he's affirmed his disciples for their leaving their previous lives and following him. Now, he takes the twelve aside, and he says to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Remember, the Son of Man is Jesus' way of referring to him. It actually comes from one of the prophets, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, It fundamentally means human being, and yet in Daniel's vision, it was a glorified, powerful human being who sits at God's right hand and receives uh, a universal kingdom over all things. So Jesus is saying, we're heading to Jerusalem, and everything the prophets have said about me, the Son of Man, is going to be accomplished. He knows that this trip to Jerusalem is the culmination of his life, and it's in keeping with everything the Old Testament books prophetically said about him as the Son of Man. Now, what's going to happen? Well, verse 32 says, For he, i.e. Jesus, the Son of Man, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, he will be ridiculed and abused and spit upon, and after they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will arise. So they're making this long march to Jerusalem, and The culmination is not going to be exactly what everyone probably expects it to be for the Messiah. Jesus has a very clear understanding of what lies ahead. Betrayal, being handed over, right? Uh, Humiliation, ridicule, abuse, spit upon. Um, Flogging, he's going to be whipped or flogged. To be flogged was to be whipped in a very specific sort of way. We'll look at that in detail when we get there. They're going to kill him, so death is coming. And resurrection, specifically resurrection, even on the third day. So Jesus has an incredibly clear understanding of what lies ahead for him. And he's trying to warn the disciples of this so they can be mentally prepared for what's about to happen very, very shortly in just a week or so from this very moment. Well, verse 34 tells us the disciples just don't get it. Verse 34, the disciples understood none of these things. The meaning of this statement was hidden from them. They didn't comprehend the things that were said. Why? Well, because their expectations of what the Messiah would do and what his kingdom would look like actually prevented them from grasping what Jesus was saying and that he was being very straightforward about this. Like they had preconceived notions and what Jesus is describing doesn't fit those preconceived ideas. And so it's like, eh, it just doesn't make any sense. They don't get it. They couldn't see it. 
this statement of Jesus about what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem really provides the counterbalance to the preceding section. The preceding section ended with Jesus telling them that anyone who gave up home or family, divested themselves of their wealth, their status, their life, to follow Jesus would actually receive back in this life and in the life to come eternal life. Here, Jesus reminds them that although indeed there are blessings to entering the kingdom of God through Jesus, right, those blessings are promised, the path is the way of suffering. Uh, That the way that the kingdom of God is going to be inaugurated and what it means to follow Jesus' Messiah, it's going to entail a path of suffering. And so now, with that little snapshot in mind, we turn the final turn to head to Jerusalem, and all that's left is the ascent up into the city. And Jesus knows, he's just warned them, here's what's going to happen. It's going to happen in the next couple days. He's warned them of that. So now we take that final turn. We begin the final stretch into Jerusalem. Verse 35. Now, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, Jericho lies really about 15 or so miles northeast from Jerusalem. It's a few miles west of the Jordan River. And the city of Jericho has a long history for Israel. It was the first major city Israel encountered after crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land way back in the book of Joshua. It's the last city before this long climb up to Jerusalem. In fact, it's it's a steep, difficult climb, about 3,400 feet in elevation gain to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a climb that'll take about six hours, and Jesus is going to do that very shortly. Um, so they approach Jericho, they come near the city, and a man who was blind was sitting by the road and begging. My suspicion is this man is there because he knows it's Passover season. He knows that giving alms to a beggar is considered a righteous act. This is a great opportunity and a great place to be in order to appeal to pilgrims heading to Jerusalem for Passover. Uh, he, He could hope that these worshipers would be feeling extra generous and that they would give him some money. We learn from Mark's account that this man, this blind man, his name is Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. And so Bartimaeus, the blind man, is sitting by the road um, near Jerusalem begging. But, verse 36, when he, Bartimaeus, heard a crowd going by, he he began inquiring what was going on. So he hears, he can't see, but he can hear the crowd And he notices, man, there's a lot of commotion, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of excitement. He wonders, what's going on? And so he begins asking about that. Verse 37, they, some people who he was asking, told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus passed along this road. It's not the first time Jesus has been through Jericho. And so from the man's response, it seems obvious that he's at least heard rumors of Jesus. Um, He's heard reports of what Jesus has done and can do. He's heard the story. And he knows this is a chance of a lifetime. And so once he hears that Jesus is on his way by, he springs into action. Verse 38. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That title, son of David, 
It's a royal title. And in fact, this blind man is the only person in Luke's gospel to call Jesus by this title. It, it actually kind of in some ways harkens back to the very beginning of Luke's gospel. When Gabriel announced Jesus' birth, he said this. He said, he, the, the one that going to be born to you, Mary. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. His kingdom will have no end. This title, Son of David, captures all of that. It's a royal title about the one who's going to come in in the name of David and sit on his throne and establish uh, the kingdom of God in and through him. And so he's calling out for King Jesus to help him. That's what he's doing. Well, verse 39, those who led the way, those who seem to be at the front of this this parade, those who led the way were urging him sternly to be quiet. But he kept on crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So just like the disciples with the babies in the previous section, these people are trying to keep this blind guy, this unimportant blind beggar from bothering Jesus, right? Be quiet, leave him alone. They're trying to uh, keep him quiet and keep him from Jesus. Well, just like with the babies in the previous encounter, Jesus asks for this blind man to be brought to him. Verse 40, and Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. He, he, in this moment, doesn't tone down his request. He goes for gold, right? He, he goes for it all, and he believes that Jesus can do it. He has a sheer, a clear, simple request in mind. I want to regain my sight. And he has confidence in Jesus that King Jesus has the power to do it. And Jesus said to him, regain your sight. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. It saved you by giving your sight, maybe saved you even deeper if this man attaches himself to Jesus. And this man regained his sight immediately, verse 43. He regained his sight and began following Jesus, glorifying God. At this moment, he's now a follower of Jesus. He's part of his community. His faith has indeed saved him. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. And so here this, this, this big crowd is gathered around Jesus. Maybe they've even gone out from, from the city to welcome him as was common because they heard Jesus was coming and he's an important person with a large reputation. So maybe you've got people from the city escorting him back into the city. You have this beggar who is healed right there. And all the people are awestruck by all of this and they begin praising God. Now, this the simple little two-snapshot episode here in the Gospel of Luke, I think reminds us of a really, really important truth, and that truth is this, power in weakness. Power in weakness. We know we hear this from the Apostle Paul in his own case, where God told him, um, my power is perfected in your weakness, for my grace is sufficient for you. But we see that same thing here in Jesus. Jesus is the son of man, the glorified human, right? He's the son of David. He's going to reign on David's throne. His kingdom will have no end. That's what it means to be the son of man in the vision of Daniel chapter 7. Jesus can heal a blind man with a word. He just says it. If your faith has saved you, be healed. He, he has incredible power. 
And yet, he's going up to Jerusalem where he will suffer shame, humiliation, where he'll be brutally beaten, crucified, and die, only to rise again. Power in the midst of weakness. This, this is the way of Jesus. That though he has incredible power and though he is a great and mighty king, he expresses that kingship in laying down his life for the sake of others. This is the way of Jesus.